name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now, and unto the age of all ages. Amen. I welcome you, dear brothers and sisters, to this, our first meeting in the Saints Joachim and Anna uh, Orthodox Parents uh, Fellowship. And you will have hopefully received one of these papers, uh, which has just a general idea about this um, new uh, uh, service that we have. As you can see, the goal uh, it's to respond to the desire of many uh, parents within our parish and other parishes who would like to have a regular and consistent meeting to discuss uh, how to raise saints in the 21st century. Um, and so hopefully we will continue this uh, uh, series, this uh, uh, fellowship, every second and fourth Thursdays of the month. So initially we said it would be every two weeks, but it's actually going to be the second and the fourth Thursdays of every month. Uh, okay, so the children will be in room two. If you're looking for your kids, they'll be in room two with Lydia. And the schedule that we're going to have on these Thursdays is going to be as follows. 7 to 7.15, we'll have the prayer. And the prayer is actually the most beneficial thing you can do for your children uh, tonight. So that's from 7 to 7.15. And then we'll have the lecture from about 7.15 to 8. And then at 8 o'clock, we'll go into the NPR. Uh, hopefully, some will, will make us coffee. And we can sit together as a group and we can discuss openly whatever challenges you're facing. Uh, so that we can uh, learn from one another and, of course, learn from our Mother, the Holy Church. But for now, we have our spiritual lecture. And I want to begin our fellowship with a few words about something that each and every one of us uh, here should have. And that is a little church in our homes. Now, by little church, I don't mean that you're going to necessarily construct a chapel inside your home, although if you wanted to do that, that would be something wonderful. What I speak of tonight is every family being a little church. Yes, we are all members of the Coptic Orthodox Church, and within that we're members of the Diocese of Los Angeles, and within that we're members of St. Marina's Parish. But it doesn't end there, because every home must also be a little church. And as Christians, we understand the church at home as a state of being. It is a state of being. It is a state of being that we have no matter where we are, no matter where we live, we have the state of being that our family is a little church. So that even affects us when we're outside the house in terms of the way our children conduct themselves and how we as parents relate to them. The church at home is our relationship with other members of our family. It's our relationship with the community. It's our relationship, most importantly, with God. So what does this church at home look like? What are the characteristics of the church at home? The first characteristic of the church at home is a strong foundation. Every home must have, of course, a strong foundation. And in any family, the husband and the wife serve as the strong foundation for the rest of the household. 
It's therefore necessary that the love between a husband and wife be strong. As many of us have heard and experienced in the Coptic wedding ceremony, the love of a husband towards his wife is modeled after the self-sacrificial love of Christ for his church. In his epistle to the Ephesians, the Holy Apostle Paul teaches us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The Holy John Chrysostomos, he captures the depth of this great love between husbands and wives in this beautiful passage from one of his homilies. Listen to this passage because it's quite beautiful how he describes what this love should look like. He says, For Christ espoused his church as a wife. He loves her as a daughter. He provides for her as a handmaid. He guards her as a virgin. He fences her around like a garden and cherishes her like a part of his own body. As a hand, he provides for her. As a root, he causes her to grow. As a shepherd, he nourishes her. As a bridegroom, he marries her. As a propitiation, he pardons and forgives her. As a sheep, he is sacrificed. As a bridegroom, he preserves her in her beauty. As a husband, he provides for her own support. This is an exceptionally beautiful meditation on how our Lord Jesus Christ loved the church. And this is the model of how a husband must love his wife. Our Lord Jesus Christ showers his church with the love of a husband, the love of a father, the love of a protector, the love of a provider, and even the love of one who was prepared to die for his wife. This is the love of the husband towards the wife. What about the wife? In response to this ceaseless, nurturing, forgiving, protecting love, the wife responds to her husband with a great and sacrificial love that is manifested in obedience. There is a beautiful example of this in our liturgy, the liturgy of St. Gregory. If you've ever prayed the liturgy of St. Gregory, you'll see that it recounts all of the wonderful things that Christ didn't for us. And in that liturgy, the priest, after all of these things have been recounted, the priest prays the following words. He says, I offer you, O my master, the symbols of my freedom. So basically, the whole liturgy is talking about Christ's love for us in what he did for us. And then you come to this part, and what does the priest say? Whatever freedom I have, I willingly give to you, O Christ. Because as I've seen throughout recounting all of these wonderful things, you have loved me. And so I love you back, and I offer myself back to you. These are the words of a person who submits himself fully to God in response to God's boundless and unfathomable love. This is the kind of love that the wife gives back to her husband when he loves her as he should. And so this is the love between husbands and wives. The husband showers his wife with sacrificial love and the wife seeing and being humbled by this love, she returns sacrificial love 
back to him. For this reason, the holy John Chrysostomus said, When you love, the lover and the beloved should no longer be two persons divided, but in a manner one single person, something which can only happen through love. So this mutual exchange of sacrificial love makes a husband and wife one unit. It makes them one unit. This, dear brothers and sisters, is the foundation of the church at home. Husbands and wives must have good, solid marriages. They need to know who they are and who they aren't. They need to be solid in their commitment to their spouses. They need to be firmly planted in the church. If a husband and wife are constantly distracted because they are arguing with each other, or both of them are arguing with people at work, or a neighbor, or a family member, if this is what's happening day in and day out, then what's going to happen is they're not going to have the time or the emotional energy to give their children the guidance and the protection they need. Even if you have problems in your lives, in your married lives, you have to be very careful to always draw a fence around those problems so that the children are not affected. Because the children pick up on these things and they are the ones in the end who suffer. This might be a controversial statement to you, but the church did not marry you so that you can be happy. The church never said that the goal of marriage is happiness. The church married you first and foremost so that you can be holy. That's why the church married you, so that you could have that little house, that little church in your house, and you can lead your family to the kingdom of heaven. That's why the church married you. And so these matters of happiness should never get in the way of these matters of holiness, because that is the primary goal, to be holy and to lead the family to the kingdom of heaven. So that is the first characteristic of the church at home. The second characteristic of the church at home is structure. Structure. There has to be order and discipline within the family. St. John Chrysostomus preached the following concerning order in the church at home. Here's what he said. Seeing the things of God and those of man will follow with great ease. Teach your wife and your whole household will be well disciplined. If we regulate our households in this way, we will also be fit to oversee the church, for indeed the house is a little church. So there are two problems that we, we encounter when we speak about order in the house. Two things that I oftentimes see in visitations. Number one, there are some houses when there, where there's no order whatsoever. Everyone does whatever they want. People go to work and come back. And everyone is kind of living their own lives. And there's no real family structure. Right? That's the first problem that I sometimes see. The second problem that I see is worse. And that is, there is structure, but it's structure in the wrong things. Let me give you an example. Many parents today are very good and structured about getting their kids ready for school from the night before and the morning of. They're very disciplined. You have to wake up by this time, be ready by this time, and be at school by this time. We're very good at that. But you don't find the same order in terms of reading the scripture or getting ready for church or praying as a family. 
you find that there is discipline in the house, but it's misdirected. It's directed at the things of the world, not necessarily the things that will benefit our children, which are the things of God. So if we're in a household that has no order, that's a problem. And if we're in a household that has order, but the order is misdirected, that is equally a problem. And both need to be addressed. And we're going to talk about all these things as, as the series progresses. Uh, this is more of an introduction to some of the things that we hope to discuss, uh, just to bring these matters to your attention. So this is the, the second characteristic of the church at home. There has to be order and discipline in the right things within the home. The third characteristic of the church at home is teaching children, teaching children right, instructing children in the right way. And we oftentimes make a mistake today by believing that teaching children starts when they're old enough, for example, to uh, hear stories or go to Sunday school and things like that. In reality, teaching the child the right things starts from the day the child is born. First of all, a child learns a lot from his or her name. In the Orthodox Church, the name of a child is significant. The Holy John Chrysostomus teaches us that we should never name our children after ancestors or actors or people of the world and things like that, but instead we name our children after the righteous, the martyrs, the bishops, the apostles, and the saints, because that name that we give our child has eternal significance. This is why in the Old Testament, the child was not named until he was circumcised on the eighth day, right? He was not given a name until then. The name was given in the context of a religious ceremony because that name has eternal significance. We name our children after the saints because we want the child to take the, characteristic, the characteristics of those saints, so, for example, God blessed my wife and I with Samuel, Aaron, and Hannah. And so they're young now, but hopefully in the future, every year when the feast of St. Samuel comes, either Samuel the prophet or St. Samuel the confessor, we will hopefully sit down with them every year and read the story and explain to them, these are the virtues of the saints named Samuel. And we are putting this example in front of them so that the children can learn, you know, about these characteristics and hopefully imitate them. We name children after saints so that the children will have a relationship with those saints. So if you have a daughter named Mary, then by all means, she should have an icon of the Holy Theotokos Saint Mary in her room. And every morning she should say good morning to that saint. She should have a relationship with the saint after whom she is named. So the instruction of a child begins from the time the child is named. Not only that, but from the first days of life, from the time a child can hear our voices, from the time a child can see our actions, the child is learning and being instructed in the faith. This is something very important. The Holy Apostle Paul speaks the following words to every parent. He says, 
Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So this is a duty, the careful instruction of our children. We have to nurture our children in a manner that is worthy of the name Christian. St. John Chrysostomos, he uses the imagery of parents as sculptors. You know, sculptors are people that make sculptures, right? He says when a child is born, he is essentially a piece of clay without form. But through the way we talk to them, through the way we act in front of them, through the name, through bringing them to church, reading the scripture with them, we start to carve out something beautiful. And like any sculpture, it takes time and hard work. You don't make a sculpture just in one day. It takes perhaps years of chiseling to make something beautiful. But this is what being a parent really is. We are all sculptors in front of a lump of clay or a lump of stone. And we are called in every aspect of our lives to shape that clay or that stone into something that is in the image of God. Something beautiful. This is what we as parents are called to do. It's good to recall how important it is for us to raise children in a godly way. Everything that we do should be for the salvation of our children. We do such a great job sacrificing for them. We take jobs we don't want to take. We work long hours we don't want to work. We sacrifice so much so that they could go to that great school somewhere or that they can get this or that material benefit. But remember, dear brothers and sisters, this also has to apply to spiritual things. That means that even if you're really tired on the weekends and you've had a long week at work, and you don't want to take them to Sunday school on a Saturday night of all times, you sacrifice and you take them because everything that you do as a parent should be for the salvation of your children. This is why St. Theophon the Recluse, uh, he says this beautiful quote. I printed it on your paper on the very top. He says, of all holy works, the education of children is the most holy. So sometimes people come and they complain. They say, Abun, I come to the liturgy and I can't pray as I used to pray because my children are running around. You taking care of your children is what God is calling you to do right now. This is your prayer. So even if you can't pray as you did when you were a teenager or when you were unmarried, it's okay. Because running after them, teaching them how to stand in the liturgy, helping them follow the prayer, this is your prayer. This is your salvation. Don't think that you have to pray the way you used to. You're not at that stage of your life any longer. That changed when you had children. Your lives forever changed. So don't try to go back to the way things were and leave your children just to run about without any teaching or think that a servant is going to teach them for you. No, you have to keep your children close and your prayer, your sacrifice is teaching your children what is right. And the time will come, God willing, when the children are older, that you can have some more time to go back to the prayer that you once knew. So how can we instruct our children? I have some suggestions that I want to share with you. Again, these are just points of an overview. But each one of these could be a future lecture. Uh, but I just want to share them with you so that you can start to think about them 
uh, and we can hopefully uh, talk uh, about them in more detail later. Number one, strive to be a holy example within the home as well as in public so that your children can follow you and not be scandalized by your hypocrisy. Sometimes a child will come to me in confession and say, my parents act one way in church, but they're completely different with me at home. And the child is, is scandalized because he sees a difference. He sees a parent that comes to church and the parent wants to you know, present this particular image. But then at home, the parent is completely different. And the child is, is very much scandalized by this. And he's coming and he's struggling with this. In order to teach our children right, what we are in the church has to be what we are at home, has to be what we are when we're driving, has to be what we are when we're at work, when we're shopping. This is what we're called to do. Always be a good example in front of our children. And if we make a mistake and we do something we shouldn't have done, we need to be uh, uh, humble enough to say to our children, I made a mistake. And to teach them, I made a mistake, I did something wrong. It's far better to do that than to try to be full of pride and escape from what your children actually saw. So number one, be a, a holy example all the time. Number two, educate yourself in the faith as much as possible. You cannot give to your children what you yourself don't have. I'll say that again. You cannot give to your children what you yourself don't have. You can't teach your children faith if your own faith is not strong. You can't teach your children to be patient if you're not a patient driver. You can't teach your children to be reconciled with other kids and other people if you are always having family issues and problems with your neighbors and friends and things like that. You can't teach your children how to be a hard worker if you yourself are lazy and you neglect your responsibilities. You need to educate yourself in the matters of the faith and in everything else that you want to teach your children because if you don't have it, you can't give it. So it's very important that you fill yourself up. And that's why I mentioned that the first part of tonight, the prayer that we did for those 15 minutes, are the things that are going to benefit our children the most. Because when we come home tonight, having been filled with peace from our prayer, we're going to be better parents to them. Having come to the church and received the blessing of the church, we're going to transmit that blessing to them by our conduct. Prayer helps. So the more you build yourself up as a Christian, the more it will help your children to learn from you the right thing. Third, read the Holy Scripture with your children every day. Don't let a single day go by without opening the Scripture and reading at least a little bit with your children. St. John Chrysostomo says the Holy Scriptures are medicine for the soul and we're all sick. And your child, if, if he had a fever and he needed medicine, would you not rush to the pharmacy and get him the medicine he needed? Well, your child needs medicine for the soul as well. And so you cannot ignore this any longer. You can't let a night go by without opening the scripture with your children. Everything your child needs to know to live and to be a good Christian is found in the pages of the scripture. 
And you have to be the one to help him or her see that. So that's the third one. Read the scripture every single day. St. John Chrysostom says to parents, let us make our children from the earliest age apply themselves to reading the scripture. Number four, take the initiative and find out what your children are learning in their Sunday school classes. So sometimes we send our kids to Sunday school and we're happy that we have servants to teach them, but then we don't do the follow-up with them. We don't necessarily care what they learned. We don't ask them. We don't engage them afterwards. This is the best way to have the child retain the lesson. Why do children today oftentimes play around in the Sunday school classes? Because they know they're not going to be accountable for what they learned, right? But imagine if you as a parent, every single week, maybe on Sunday or Friday or Wednesday, you sat down with them and you said, remember what your lesson was about. Tell me your lesson. What was the memory verse? And you engage them. Then all of a sudden, when your child is in class, he's going to remember, my parents are going to be proud of me if I retain this. So he's going to behave better and he's going to retain more of the lesson, God willing. So take the initiative to find out what your children are learning in the Sunday school and then try to build upon it, you know, at home. Because at home is where the real teaching happens. Next, build upon the liturgical life of the church. Meaning, when we come to church and we read a specific gospel or we hear the story of a specific saint, like today is the feast of St. Mark, the founder of the church. Don't just let that pass by your life. Take that and sit down with your children and explain to them what this reading means, what the story means, what is the significance of this event in the life of the church. Engage them. So today you could say to them, today is the Feast of St. Mark. Who is St. Mark? Well, he wrote the second gospel. What else is special about him? He founded our church. How? And then tell them the story. If you don't know the story, it's on the internet. It's in the synexarium that you have in Coptic Reader. Just pull it out and summarize it in points for them. And that way the child knows, okay, on this day we celebrate the feast of the founder of our church, who also wrote a gospel. And now the child is engaged in the liturgical life of the church. So try to do that. Next, in the home, set up an altar an icon corner, as they sometimes call it, a family altar. Is it like the altar behind me? Not exactly. The family altar is basically a place where you can put a table and there's a wall and you can hang up all of the family icons. So if you have a daughter named Mary, there should be an icon of the Theotokos. If you have a son named Mina, there should be an icon of Saint Mina. Put all of the family icons there and teach your children whenever they pray to stand in front of this area and pray. And you can even put a table there and have for them their Agbeyas, their Bibles, some spiritual books. And you teach them, when you leave for school, say a prayer here. When you come back from school, say a prayer here. When someone is sick, remember them here. Make this the one place in the house where it's like an altar. And it's the place where the family prays and they know this space is sacred. This space of the house is set apart for me to speak to God in it, right? The kids 
really like this, especially if you have young kids and they get to choose the icons and you tell them the stories of the icons. They really love it. So I encourage you to, to build a family altar someplace in your home. Next, make a big deal about the feasts. How many times do feasts come and pass in the church? And it's like any other day for us. We don't realize that it's important at all. You know, the feast comes. It's the Feast of Theophany. It might come on a Tuesday night. Today we're going to church. Why? Because we have to. What are we celebrating today? Ah, the baptism. And, and that's maybe all that we say. But if we make a big deal about the feast, if we, for example, knowing that it's going to be the Feast of Theophany, if we prepare a few days beforehand and we tell our children, this is the feast where our Lord was baptized, and here's what our church does. We have the washing of, of the feet, and here's what it symbolizes, and our Lord blessed water, and here's what we're going to do on that day. We're going to go to church. You make a big deal about it, all of a sudden the child now is learning to celebrate feasts. But we oftentimes have feasts that come and go and our families are oblivious. It could be as simple as this. It could be just today is a feast, so we're going out to a restaurant for dinner. We oftentimes go out with our families, right, to dinner at different restaurants. It could be for no reason or because our child did well in school or something like that. But you can try to teach them it's a feast in the church. You have a child named Mark, right? Today is the Feast of St. Mark. Mark, because today is the Feast of your saint, we're going out for dinner. Wow. Now the child feels that it's a special day. And now he is learning about the rhythm of the church. So make a big deal about the feast days. And as much as possible, try to go to the liturgies and the prayers on all of the feast days so that the children feel the cycle of the church. Next, I just touched on this, but instead of celebrating birthdays, I'm not saying it's wrong to celebrate birthdays, but at least in addition to celebrating birthdays, celebrate the feast of the saint that your children are named after, right? So again, today is the feast of St. Mark. So today, all of you who have children named Mark can have a cake and have his icon and tell them the story and make a big deal about it so that the child feels connected to the saint. Right? And they're taught to celebrate the things of God, not just the things of the world, like birthdays where, you know, it's about presents and things like that. Next, and lastly, ask the clergy to come and visit you as often as possible. People today, I think, sadly, are not taking advantage of the fact that our church is very strong in terms of visitations. Right? I mean, in no other church... Are you going to find priests who are this willing to come and visit you and spend time with your family and pray and bless your homes? I remember when I was serving in San Diego, there was uh, in the southern part of San Diego, a place called El Cajon, a city called El Cajon. And El Cajon has, I believe, the second or the third largest concentrations of Iraqi Christians outside of Iraq. They all left Iraq starting from the early 90s. And they came and settled in El Cajon. And most of them are Chaldean. So they're, they're Catholics. And they have there not a church. They have Mutraneya. So they have one metropolitan. And they have 10 or 11 priests. Now when I was serving in San Diego. I came across some of these people. And they heard that I was willing to visit them. And they were amazed. 
a priest is going to come visit me? Because the priests, you know, there in the Catholic Church, for whatever reason, they were too busy or too many people, they weren't coming to them and visiting them. But when they heard that there was a Coptic priest who was willing to visit them any time, they were so happy. And I started to get these invitations. I remember one time I got this invitation from a family. They said, come bless the house. This family invited the extended family. And, you know, among the Iraqis, extended family, it turned out to be 50 people. And none of them spoke English, so they were, you know, it was the, the dialect that was like Shlonek, uh, it's a different Iraqi, uh, uh, but I did my best. They wanted me to speak to them about Pope Krulis, right? And actually there was I, something that I considered to be a, a miracle that happened, uh, you know, Pope Krulis uh, performed a miracle, uh, in that before this visit, they wanted me to speak about Pope Krulis, but before this visit, I was in the church and someone came to me randomly and said, here, he gave me this huge box. And I, he said, you know, take it and use it for whatever you have. So I kept that in my car. I kept it in my car. And what was in this box were all of the books of miracles of Pope Krolos. And that happened right before this visit. And when I went to this visit, what this family wanted to hear about were the miracles of Pope Krolos. I said, do you want to hear about him? Wonderful. I have books for you. So I went to the car and I got books and I distributed them to this, this extended family. So visitations are wonderful because the priest is, is happy to come to bless the house, spend time with you, read the scripture with you, spend time with your children and talk to your children so that there is a relationship. So that if, you know, there's a problem in the future at school or, or whatever may be going on, they're comfortable to come to the priest and, and to speak their heart. So these are some suggestions. I'll just go over them very quickly for those that came a little bit late. We said, number one, be a whole example, no matter where you are or what you're doing. Number two, educate yourself, because the more you have, the more you can give. Number three, read the Holy Scripture every day with your children. Number four, take the initiative to find out what the kids are learning in Sunday school. And then supplement, ask them what they're learning and engage them so that they pay attention and they feel pride that mom and dad are, want to know what I learned. Next, uh, build upon the life of the church. So if it's a, a feast of a saint, talk to them about that saint. Explain the gospel reading on Sunday. Uh, whatever you can do to uh, help them appreciate the liturgical service more. Uh, next, set up a family altar or an icon corner in the house. Next, make a big deal about the feast days. Don't let them go and, and, and come and go without making a big deal about them. Teach them to really celebrate these days. Next, in addition to the birthday, celebrate the name day, or the, the, the feast of the person or the saint after whom uh, your, your child is named. So like today, it's a feast of St. Mark. So if you have a child named Mark, Today should be a celebration. There should be a cake. There should be presents. There should be the telling of St. Mark's story. There should be something to connect your child with the saint whose feast we celebrate. And finally, we said that uh, visitations are very important. Ask us to come. We will come. No one, no one gets refused a visitation. It might take a couple of weeks to schedule it, but no one is refused a visitation. There's no one who's too far for us. We will come and visit you and spend time with your children and pray with you. 
Uh, and this is, I think, something very good that we have in the Coptic Church. So use it. Uh, take advantage of it. Uh, because I think it really helps, especially in the life of our children. So these are a few characteristics of the church at home. Uh, we talked about the importance of having the church at home. Uh, we talked about uh, the first characteristic, which is its foundation, uh, the husband and wife, to be strong in their love for one another. Uh, we talked about uh, having order in the house, uh, how important that is, not just in worldly things like getting to school on time, but getting to church on time, praying every day, reading the scripture every day, fasting, etc. Uh, and then we talked about the importance of instructing our children. And we said that begins from the moment they're named. And from the moment they can hear and see our actions, they're learning from us. And then we spoke about the duty of, of instructing them right and gave you those examples that I just listed. So this is enough for our first lecture.